0: Good morning City Church, how we doing? Good, did anybody watch TV last night? <laughs> yeah, playing for national championship, that's pretty sweet, pretty exciting. Uh, hey, we actually got a pom-pom, all right. She brought that for Jesus, but she'll use it for the Who's, right? Awesome. Well, it is my privilege to share God's word, and it is exciting right now in Charlottesville and around grounds and um, we're gonna be rooting them on, on uh, tomorrow night. Um, but today the word that we're going to hear I believe is actually more exciting because Jesus is more exciting than any game could ever be, am I right? <laughs> not to diminish, I love sports, I love sports. Don't, don't under, misunderstand me on that, but, but not like I love Jesus. And I like hopefully all of us love Jesus, amen? Well, I remember whenever I was in college, it was um, time for me to uh, go to the eye doctor. I realized whenever I was uh, in class that I could no longer see the chalkboard. You guys may remember those things that they, it's like these sticks that people used to write on these hard surfaces with before PowerPoint and, Anyways, I couldn't see the chalkboard in back, of, in, in back of the classroom, and at night when I would drive, I had a hard time uh, making out, is that a deer in the road, or is that just a headlight? Anybody ever been there? And I was like, I better get to the eye doctor. And so I went to the eye doctor, and uh, they, they did some traumatic things to me when I got there. Uh, first of all, they had me look at this nice picture of a hot air balloon, and I thought, well, that's nice, and then pff, right in my eye, they, they shot a puff of air right in my eyeball. And if I pulled my eye back, I had to do it again, right? And so, and then they're like, well, now we need to do the other eye. Like, are, are we sure we need to do the other eye? So poof, another puff of air right in my eyeball. And, and then they walked me into a dark room with this, this chart on the, on the wall. And they sat me down in a chair and they swung this apparatus around they had two little holes in it, and they, they would black out one of the, the holes at a time, and, and they would start to ask some very difficult questions. It was like, one or two? <laughs> one, and you're like, this should be easy, but you get all nervous, you're like, two, no, it's one, 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 final answer's one, and, the, and then, okay, now, they did a little adjustment, now, one or two? And you're like, uh, can we try that again? One or two? And you go, two this time. And you don't know if it was two from last time. You just said it's better now. You don't know if they're playing tricks on you. And, but each with each consecutive round, you get a little more tense because you know there's a compounding effect from every decision you're making, right? And you could be like, after nine rounds, you're like, how about we run that back and like try it again, see what happens, and see if we get the same answer or not. Well, anyways, after you do one eye, then you do the other eye, and after that, it's the moment of glory. They pull back both of the blinders at the same time, and now you can see the chart in ways you couldn't see before. Has anybody ever been there? Have you, you had this moment? And and they're like, can you read the small line at the very, b-? yes, I can. It is Q-R-Z-T-P. They're like, yeah. <laughs> You're like, whoa. Well, <clears throat> Then the true moment of revelation is when you walk outside with your new glasses on or your contacts in. I remember how amazing a tree was. I I was like, look at that tree. I've I've never seen anything. I mean, I I didn't realize how much how bad my eyesight had gotten. It looked like the leaves could cut you like razor blades. The, the sides of the leaves were so crisp, and you're like, whoa, that is amazing. Then I look down on the sidewalk, I'm like, there's rocks in the sidewalk. Whoever knew that there were rocks in this concrete? And, and, and basically everything was new. You saw everything differently when you had your eyesight adjusted. Have, have you guys had that experience? Anybody had that experience? Well, this morning, we are in the Lenten season, and I believe the Lenten season is about readjusting our eyes and refocusing our eyes on the glory of Jesus and, and in the middle of that, it's to have us come back to, to God with all of our hearts, that we, would, that we would, as our eyes are refocused, because sometimes our eyes start to get dim, and as we, they're refocused, we come back to him with all of our heart. That's what the Lent, Lenten season is about. And so our passage this morning will help us see clearly things that we often struggle to see clearly. In fact, it'll, it'll help us see the most important thing clearly, because it will help us see Jesus clearly and help us focus in on the the glory, and the value, and the supremacy of Jesus, and if you will, awaken to his glory. So how many people are ready to have their eyesight adjusted this morning? Anybody? All right, open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 14, and let's get our vision corrected. By the way, I got a text this morning from Pastor Pete. He is is right now uh, at the Uh, Sea of Galilee and Tiberias, because somebody's got to be there, right? So I thought, wow, that's pretty sweet. So we're going to read about the area that he is in right now as he, uh, I'm sure, learning some great things that he'll be teaching us in the coming weeks. Mark 14 says this, Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. And so, Here's what we have. The the setting, these first two verses tell us the setting of the story, and the setting of the story is that Jesus is now in Bethany. We'll find out in just a a verse um, later that he's in Bethany, and it's during the time of the Passover, a couple days before the Passover. Now, the Passover was one of the Jewish pilgrimage feasts, and so people from all over, Jews from all over would come into Jerusalem during this time. And and it was a, a time where they would celebrate when God set the Israelites free out of slavery when they were in Egypt and delivered them and, and then ultimately brought them into the promised land. And so it was a time where they would commemorate that, but it was also a time where they would look forward to the ultimate deliverance when Jesus, uh, not Jesus, when the Messiah, which was Jesus, but when the Messiah would ultimately deliver them and, and be their savior, And so it was a a very significant season, and and historians would say that the population of Jerusalem would triple during this time, so it was was a very crowded and and very festive place during the Passover season. And it says it was a couple days before. Well, this Passover will be the Passover where Jesus goes to the cross. And so this is just a couple days before really what would be some of the most difficult days of Jesus' entire life. Okay, so, so that's where Jesus is as we read this story. He'll be executed in just a couple days. Verse three, while he was in Bethany, and Bethany was just one town over. You're in Jerusalem, you go up over the Mount of Olives, and on the other side of the Mount of Olives is Bethany. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Okay. Jesus is at a dinner at this guy's house who's named Simon the leper. Now, we don't know anything about Simon the leper. Presumably, the uh, disciples did know Simon the leper. We do know this. We do know that in Mark chapter one, Jesus heals a leper, and it could quite possibly have been Simon, right? Because now he's known as Simon the leper, but people are hanging out at his house, so he no longer has leprosy. So this could be the guy that Jesus healed in Mark one, and now he's having Jesus over for a, a banquet. And in the middle of this banquet, an unnamed woman in the gospel of Mark comes up with an alabaster jar. Now, we know from the parallel passage in John chapter 12 that this woman was Mary. Mary, the the sister of Martha and the brother of Lazarus, who Jesus had raised from the dead. In fact, we know from the parallel passage in John 12 that, that they were actually there. The, the siblings were there. They lived in Bethany. And she comes with this alabaster jar. Now, an alabaster jar was a very costly uh, container, and it was filled with costly perfume. It was filled with nard, it says. and. And Pliny the Elder uh, from the first century said that, that alabaster jars were kept for the most costly of ointments, okay? So this was a, a costly container with a costly ointment in it, and, and it was filled with nard. And nard was basically just this fragrant or aromatic uh, oil that would, that would come from a root that came from India. And so it was very, very rare in the Middle East to have nard, and, and so it was uh, worth a lot of money, what you'd do is you'd put the nard in the in, in the flask. There'd be a long neck on it, and then you would seal it. and And to open it, you would then have to break the neck of the flask. So it was kind of a single-use only kind of container. Are you Are you following me? It's because it'd be sealed to keep the the, uh, the the fragrance fresh. It was very expensive. In fact, it says it was well literally 300 denarii or about a year's wages now a denarii was basically what a a person would get for a a day's work okay so what somebody would would for a hard day's work okay here's a denarii and it was worth about 300 denarii. last night i looked up on google what the average salary is in charlottesville a year's salary it was forty nine thousand nine hundred and thirteen dollars so, if we're to put the value of this flask and this nard in our own vernacular, this little flask, this alabaster jar, and the nard in it is worth roughly $50,000. Okay? $50,000. Now this, this, how did she come about this, this flask and this nard? We're not really sure. It's quite possible that this was a family heirloom that was handed down to her from her mother, right? And that this would be something like, this would have been her prized possession. This would have been the, the family's pride and joy. Like who's going to get the, 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 the alabaster jar with the nard in it when mom, you know, deceased, well, probably the oldest daughter. And so now she has the, the, the family heirloom and, or it, it actually could have been her savings account, Like in case of emergency, sell the alabaster jar. jar. Like in other words, that this was like her prized possession that if things got really, really bad, she always knew she could at least sell this and somehow get out of the hole. Are you guys following me with this? But this particular day, when she hears that Jesus is going to be there on her way out and on her way to dinner, she grabs the jar. I I gotta wonder if her, her brother and sister knew what she had done. But she grabs the jar, and while they're sitting at the table, and dinner is being served, Mary gets up, and it says she takes the $50,000, she breaks it, and it says she begins to, to pour tens of thousands of dollars on the head of Jesus. Now, in, in the parallel passage in, in John chapter 12, it actually tells us that she didn't just anoint his head, but she also anointed his feet. So let's just for kicks say that she put $25,000 on his head, and then $25,000 worth of this ointment on his feet. Now, how many people know at that point when she's doing this, dinner has come to a standstill, right? I mean, whatever they were eating, it wasn't that good. The, the fragrance is filling the room. People are like, is that nard? And they look over and they're like, no, she didn't. Are you guys, right? I mean, imagine this. You're watching tens of thousands of dollars be poured out on the head of Jesus. Well, let's keep reading. How did the crowd respond? Some who were present were, were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money could have been given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. So here's this woman, Mary, who's pouring out thousands and thousands of dollars on the head of Jesus. And then she goes to his feet and she starts to... to, to pour out the rest upon his feet, and the people are like, what is she doing? Why is she wasting her money? What a waste. I mean, that could have been used for the poor. Now, how many people know that they're just dipping their indignation in morality at this point? Because if she would have have left the alabaster jar in the safe at home, no one would have said, well, we know there's an alabaster jar in your house and how dare you keep it and not give it to the poor? How many people would have said that? No one. What they couldn't get over was the fact that somebody would waste it on Jesus. Why would she waste $50,000? And it says they... Rebuked her harshly. The word in the Greek is, is this idea of a horse snorting. I mean, they were so repulsed by this. They're like, Whoa. that's the best I can do. I'm sorry. I practiced that. But you know what I'm talking about. Like, there's, they couldn't, they couldn't stand the thought. Like, they rebuked her harshly. This, they're not neutral about this. They see her as foolish. And unwise and wasteful. Let's see how Jesus responded. Verse six, he said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you, and you can help them anytime you want but you'll not always have me. She has done what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Isn't it interesting that what the critics and the company at the dinner call a waste, Jesus calls beautiful. Now, Jesus isn't saying don't help the poor. I mean, you can't read the gospels and not get his heart for the poor Okay, I mean, if you just need a starter, go to Matthew 25. He has a heart for the poor, but he's saying, this is a very specific moment. In a couple days, I'm going to the cross, and what she has done is a beautiful thing. Because here's what we find out, is we find out in the midst of this room where Jesus is sitting at the center, that there's really only one person who's seeing clearly. And it's this woman who did this lavish act of, made a lavish sacrifice, who did a beautiful thing by pouring out tens of thousands of dollars on the head of Jesus and on his feet. I mean, she had just seen her brother raised from the dead. She, she knew the, the value and the glory and the supremacy of Jesus. I mean, it, I, as I was uh, studying the gospels and over the past month, I've been recognizing how many things happened at these feet that she is anointing with this fragrant perfume. Let me just give you a quick list of of what has happened at these feet. First of all, we can start here because one of the first things we find out in the Gospels is this, is that John the Baptist says that these are the very feet that that when the sandals that are on those feet, he is not even worthy to untie, and he's the most holy man alive. He's not even worthy to touch those feet. Then we see in, in Mark chapter five, that, that a demoniac is going to come rushing at him and will fall at those feet because they know, though there are a legion of demons in this man, they, they know that when they encounter Jesus, that they are still outman because Jesus versus a legion, Jesus still has more power. And then in, in Luke's account of this, we find that this man is now sitting in his right mind at the very feet of Jesus, these same feet that she is anointing. We see the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years went from doctor to doctor and only ended up broken more sick that she falls at these feet and at these same feet that are being anointed she finds out that she is at the feet of the great physician These are the same feet that the woman who was the known sinner comes and begins to weep at. And as she weeps at the feet of Jesus, he says, your sins are forgiven. Now go in peace. And he restores shalom to her life. These are the same feet that nails will be nailed into. Which is the very reason Jesus could lavish mercy and grace upon the woman. Because he knew he would take the cost of her sin. These are the same feet that Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 says that all authority would be put under. These are the same feet that John in the book of Revelation says when he saw them glorified. That they were like burning bronze. And that when he saw Jesus in his glory, these are the same feet that he fell at the feet of as though dead. These feet are the feet of the glorious, supreme Lord of glory, Jesus. And she was the one in the room who knew the value of Jesus who knew the glory of Jesus and knew the supremacy of Jesus. And Jesus said what she had done was beautiful. It's interesting, Jesus connects her sacrifice with his own, doesn't he? He says, and if she's anointing my body for burial... In other words, they thought there was a scandalous sacrifice as she poured out tens of thousands of dollars upon Jesus because she perceived the the value and the glory and the worth of Jesus. So they were upset about this scandalous sacrifice, but Jesus is then pointing to, oh, this isn't the scandalous sacrifice. There is going to be a scandalous sacrifice, but this isn't it. Because not would, (laughs) a few thousand dollars won't be poured out, but the the life of the one whose life is beyond estimate, the king of glory will pour out his very life in a couple days. I was thinking about this. It's like, okay, if I, my, my lawnmower's broke. If I spent $500 on my lawnmower that's worth $300, you guys would think I was silly, right? I bought my lawnmower for $300. But if I spent $10,000 to repair my million-dollar home, would you think that was silly? The point is, is Jesus' life is, a, is a beyond estimating. And so he is worthy of whatever she would do. And, but there would be a scandalous sacrifice, and that scandalous sacrifice would be his very life. Verse 9, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in her memory. Wow, Jesus says not only is it beautiful, but it will never be forgotten. In other words, it's almost as if he's saying this, this is how you rightly respond to me. This She gets it. She understands my value. She understands my glory. She understands my supremacy. And this will be the paradigmatic response of, of what it looks like to appropriately respond to me. This will be never forgotten. In other words, we would do well to emulate it. And we also see there's ripple effects. This will never be forgotten. How many people's lives will be spurred on? I mean, today, our lives will be spurred on to value and to glorify and to declare the supremacy of Jesus because of what she did. Ripple effects to lives lived this way. And then it's interesting, right after this, we get two verses. It says this, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, Went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Isn't it interesting that the gospel writer talks about her legacy and then throws two verses in about Judas? Why? because they're juxtaposing the two legacies. What is Judas's legacy? Judas's legacy was he had a front row seat to the ministry of Jesus, but he chose to keep himself enthroned and to live for something else other than the glory of Jesus. She, however, had a front row seat to the ministry of Jesus, and she chose to put Jesus at the very center and to pour out her life, to waste her life on Jesus and expressing his glory, his value, and his supremacy. She broke what she had trusted in on the one she now trusted. She broke what used to be her treasure and poured it out on her true treasure. I love this little phrase that Jesus says in verse 8. He says this, she did what she could I mean, wouldn't you like Jesus to say that about you? She, she did what she could. He did what he could. I thought, what a wonderful thing. If, I don't know, if, I, you know, if you're ever uh, choosing what to put on my gravestone, he did what he could. I would take that. <laughs> he did what he could. I mean, you know, you know we've got, that, that's a pretty good way to fill in the hyphen, isn't it? Born 1976, died whenever Jesus says I'm going to die, and in between, I did what I could. Let's go with that. She did what she could. What words to hear Jesus say about our lives? You know, I wonder, today could we allow the Spirit to refocus our eyes upon the, the glory and the value and the supremacy of Jesus and then live That one simple statement. He did what he could to express that glory, that value, and that supremacy. I mean, she leveraged all that she had to show his value, his glory, and his supremacy. As I was preparing this message, I started thinking about people that I that 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 I know who have who have lived in that way. Let me tell you a couple stories. The first one is of my grandpa, Papa. He was a, an electrician in our small rural southern Illinois town. one of the wisest men I knew who didn't have a degree electrician, and he, he had rental homes in our in our community, and you know you can buy them for like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars where i'm from and I remember there was this guy in our church who He and his family were in a very financially tough situation. And um, in fact, they were so far behind on their real estate taxes that their house was going up for auction. My grandfather sensed that the Holy Spirit spoke to him to go buy the house. So my grandfather told my grandma, well, I'm gonna go to the auction, I'm gonna buy the house. Whatever it's gonna take, I'm gonna buy the house. And that's what he did. He went to the auction and he bought the house so that family could stay in their house. About two years ago, we buried my grandpa, and at the end of the funeral, before they closed the casket as people were going by for their final viewing, in walked a couple. Funeral's basically over and a pair of jeans, and as I recall, a leather jacket, walked up, maybe not, anyways, not dressed for a funeral. They walked up, and they said a few words to my grandma, and they paid their respects, and they said if it wasn't for Bill Walton, we'd be on the streets. They were renters, who probably many times would have deserved to be removed. He did what he could. And it was beautiful. Declaring the supremacy, the value, and the glory of Jesus. I thought about a lady by the name of Marianne Harewood, and those in Caiaphas know Marianne Harewood. I share this story often. She was a, a lady who drove a bus in our church, and her husband um, worked at Mc, uh, overseeing three McDonald's in the area, supervisor of those, those McDonald's, and they went to, to my church. And, and one Sunday, Marianne Harewood came up to me, and, and you need to understand where I was. This was right before I went off to college. I was in high school, and I was, I was at church because as long as you live under this roof, you're going to go to church, you know what I'm talking about. That, it was not an option in my house. And we didn't just go once a week. We went three times a week, and as long as you're under this roof, you're, you're going to church. And so I was at church, but I wasn't following Jesus. I was mired up in an immoral relationship, and I was just putting in my time so I could go live like I wanted to live. And and she came up to me one Sunday, and she said, I was in prayer, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me that you're supposed to go to church camp, to which I wanted to say, well, he didn't tell me, you know. <laughs> And so, I said, I'm sorry, I can't go. I, I have to work. She says, no, you don't. My husband's your boss, and you're off. <laughs> Marianne's a little fiery, if you can't tell. And, uh... Well, I couldn't say, you know, what I really wanted to say, so I was kinda backed in the corner. I was like, I guess I'm going to church camp. Now what you need to understand is there wasn't like a youth group going to church camp. There was no one going to church camp. I couldn't like jump on the bus. I had to like get in my car and drive myself to church camp. In fact, let me tell you what else she said. After she said, No, you don't, my husband's your boss, you're off. She said, In fact, we're gonna pay your way to camp. Not only that, we're gonna pay your lost wages. Now, that's putting your money where your prophecy is. You know what I'm saying? It was that week that my eyes were opened to the value and the glory and the supremacy of Jesus. And my life has never been the same. Ann Harewood she did what she could I think about my friends who are missionaries on the field I I was thinking about my friends Jason and Kelly Baker who in a few months will be going to East Africa they are quitting their jobs and leaving the, the comforts of Charlottesville and taking their kids to a place of darkness why would you do that? There's only one reason, and it's because of the, the value and the glory and the supremacy of Jesus in the nations. That's it. They're doing what they can, and Jesus calls it beautiful. I think of leaders who've walked in our fellowship and and, and who've led small groups and and made disciples. In fact, I thought about one guy. His name's Andy. And Andy worked out in the mornings. And when he worked out, he saw the same guy there working out beside him day after day. And he thought, you know what? I should make him a a friend and and share Jesus with him. And so he did. He, He started to defend this guy. And Share Jesus and invite him to Chi Alpha. And ultimately, this this young man became a brother in Christ. And not only that, his brother became a brother in Christ. Because Andy did what he could. Normal people Who who say, we're going to live for the the value and the glory and the supremacy of Jesus. Who say, we're going to do what we can. And Jesus calls it beautiful. Will you stand with me? As we close, we are in the Lenten season. Will we refocus our eyes this morning upon what is truly valuable, truly glorious, and truly supreme? And will we return to God with all of our hearts? That's what this season is about, that culminates in Easter. Let me ask you a question. What is the alabaster jar that you're tempted to orient your life around? Will you refocus this morning and reorient your life around Jesus, the one who is of supreme value and glory? And authority. And then what is one small step you can take of living a life that declares that? Maybe it's like my my grandfather or Marianne Harewood, where you would you would do something that would that would help somebody else their life flourish because you've made Jesus supreme. Maybe it's like Andy and you'll love steadily and share faithfully the good news of the supremacy of Jesus. Maybe it's like Jason and Kelly and many others that I know and you'll take a a, a bold step of faith because Jesus is worth it as he calls you to. Or maybe you give him one of your most precious commodities and that's just lavish time communing at his presence like Mary who sat at his feet what is one step you could take what is one step we could take to declare his glory his value and his supremacy because when we do Jesus says it's beautiful you're in here this morning and you don't know this Jesus, can I just tell you this? The Bible says that he didn't come for the healthy, but he came for the sick. Those feet that would ultimately be pierced with nails was about paying the the, the price for my sin and your sin. And, And here's all that you need to do today. You just need to turn towards him and say, my life will be about responding to your goodness and your grace by expressing your value, your glory, and your supremacy. If you do that, the Bible says this, that you will live with him forever because he is the resurrection and the life. We close in prayer. And we'll close with a song. Heavenly Father I want to join in the prayer of the Apostle Paul that you would open the eyes of our heart that we would perceive what Mary perceived that we would come to the point of being so convinced of your value so enthralled by your glory so submitted to your supremacy That the most rational response we could think of would take what is most precious to us and spend it on you for your glory, the good of this world, and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.